0: Recognize your privilege, try and mitigate that by ultimately recognizing the humanity in others. So challenge your assumptions that you have about other people and like really be aware of the fact that how these problematic views that we have, these anti-black racist notions that you subscribe to are literally upholding like a wider like systemic. Problem that is really a matter of life and death for other people, right? So, like until we decide to think differently, like black people will continue to die at alarming rates or be incarcerated, et cetera. So, like, it's important to think about how these varying degrees of like our ideas. So, even if it's something as simple as like our ideas about hair or beauty standards it's all still tied into these wider issues that ultimately have to do with people's like freedom like how they live and it is a life and death issue if you really want to think about it on those terms
1: hi everybody and thank you for listening to episode 35 of the learn with laws podcast on this episode i spoke with shaughnessy brown soon to be dr shaughnessy brown a PhD candidate at York University who studies what it means to be Black in Canada, especially what it means to be a Black woman in Canada. Shaughnessy has done research on Canadian beauty standards and is now looking at Black women artists. And through this work, she is shedding light on the anti-Black beliefs that exist in our society. In our conversation, we talked about natural Black hair and the politics surrounding it, privilege and what we should do with it when we have it, why my trying to empathize with problems Black people face by reframing them into an Asian perspective is actually really problematic, and overall just what it's like to be a Black woman in Canada. In talking to Shaughnessy and in listening back to our conversation, I'm just like, wow, there's so much that I need to learn. Anti-Black racism really is so ingrained in our society. And people, like me, who've had the privilege of never having to worry about our hair and going for a job interview or our lives and encountering the police, need to pay attention and try to share our privilege if we want to create a better and fairer world. I really appreciate Shaughnessy for having this conversation with me. Her work and her message of recognizing the humanity in others are so important, and I hope that you all enjoy and learn and continue to try to learn more. Thank you again for agreeing to be on my podcast. For our listeners, do you mind introducing yourself? So maybe your name and a little bit about the work that you do?
0: Sure. So my name is Shaughnessy Brown, and I'm a PhD candidate at York University in their humanities program. And my research centers around Black Canadian studies. So I'm really interested in researching what it means to be Black in Canada primarily from like women's perspectives and just really highlighting what some of our experiences are like. So some of my past research has been on like black Canadian women's hair politics. So I would discuss like some of the realities about like the choices behind why black women would pick certain hairstyles over others. And if that's linked to like just definitions of blackness in Canada and These days, I've been more so, like, moving away from that direction and talking about, like, Black women artists and, like, just how we can use different, like, artistic mediums to have similar conversations about, like, what it means to be Black in Canada from women's perspectives. Mm
1: -hmm. Cool. So you've moved kind of away from the more things surrounding beauty and more into art?
0: Yeah, so it's still related in some ways, but I think I'm, it's a more like wider conversation in terms of like how we talk about representation and what that means. So Mm -hmm. for most of the summer, I've been doing field work with different artists around the GTA, so like photographers, performance artists, singers, and other visual artists, and just thinking about like the work that they create, like how it can be used as an entry point to have these same conversations about like what it means to exist as a black woman. And for the ones that I've been interviewing, it's from like a particular second generation experience. So by that, I mean like they're descendants of like communities who came from the Caribbean, like in the 1950s and onward, just because I find that Often when we talk about what it means to be Black in Canada, for the most part, they cover like the experiences of historical Black communities. So let's say those who have been here for centuries, like, and um, or those from, like, say my parents or grandparents' generation. So my family's from Jamaica, but I was born here. So I think that the ways that our experiences of black women, specifically from those who were born here, but have like a Caribbean background are kind of different from the research that has been done already. So I'm using art to think about what those differences are.
1: Mm -hmm. Hmm, Cool, that's very interesting. Yeah, I feel like my parents came from the Philippines and like the experience that I've had compared to them has certainly been very very different. So I feel like
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, makes sense. Um, But yeah, so I wanted to have you on my podcast because I feel like your area of studies is just so important. Um, And for me, I grew up in an all white community and I didn't really fully realize it back then. But looking back, I'm able to see like all the ways that I and my community kind of associated whiteness with beauty and with other races. Um, They didn't really have that association so much. Um, Mm -hmm. And I know that it especially impacts black women uniquely. Um, Mm -hmm. So I felt that talking to someone who specializes in this area would help me and anyone listening to be more understanding.
0: Yeah, for sure. I think that just based on how whiteness functions, like for sure that. Like in thinking about whiteness or white supremacy as being the status quo, so pretty much all non-white peoples will have a very particular relationship to whiteness and like, so like you said, like growing up having a Filipino background, like you can see, or like in retrospect, like you can see how like even you yourself have internalized certain ideas about just what it means to be Canadian in ways that don't really allow for like different ways of being and same goes for black women as well and that's exactly why like I do the research that I do because I want to think about especially going back to like my first research project on black women's hair like I look at just how our overall beauty standards come out of this particular racist history that goes back to slavery and talking about how our hair as black people have always been you has always been used as a marker of difference and like so like even no matter how like light skin like how light your skin was like as long as you had like some curl or wave to your hair that was automatically associated as a marker of difference or what would place you into a category of like being non-white so even though these ideas come have have come into our society like centuries ago, they are still present in our experiences today. So like when you think about how black women would be very careful about or intentional about the kind of hairstyles they would wear to a job interview. So for example, someone like me who has dreadlocks, I find that there is this sort of normative idea of like what workplace appropriateness looks like and like how our hair is also tied in these ideas. And for the most part, like it has to do with straighter hairstyles or like just things that are not inherently black or constructed that way. So that's why like black women would often like chemically process their hair or wear like we use extensions or just find other ways to manipulate the way that their hair like grows naturally outside of their head. So mm-hmm. I really find it unfair, of course, but kind of interesting to just talk about these things because they are like a reality for so many of us that we go through on a day-to-day basis.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I was reading your publication, Don't Touch My Hair, I think it was called. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it was like, not really surprising to read but sad to see that it's like when you're going into an interview as a black woman or when you're going into work as a black woman like you really have to consider how you style your hair and if you have a natural your natural hairstyle like it's you're likely to face struggles which is that's Mm -hmm. so
0: annoying (laughs) it is and like It's even, it is annoying, but it goes beyond that because ultimately like it, your natural hair can pose a barrier for you to earn a livelihood. So that means like you don't have money to feed your family or yourself, right? So these have like real life implications for black communities. And the fact that these ideas are all coming out of like a history of, racism and anti-Blackness in particular is exactly why we have to have these conversations, Mm because why is it that, like, if you are comparing two candidates, like, one has, like, blonde straight hair and one shows up with an afro, like, just at face value, like, how these people are um, represented or presenting, like, regardless of what their resume says, like the Black woman with an afro could be even overly qualified for the position, but just based on the way that our society understands these like social codes or just beauty standards or what it means to present as like a appropriate employee, Mm -hmm. all of these ideas often negate like what it means to be Black. or always trying to police Black people and at the expense of others. So like, I think that it's important to think about, again, like how privilege works and like why a lot of people are afforded more opportunities and like how even these subtle differences, like say a hairstyle might allow you to navigate society a particular way and how that might give you access to things at the expense of opportunities for other people. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah I don't know if this is a dumb question but why is it that employers think that that like oh I would rather pick someone who has straight hair rather than a woman who has an afro or dreadlocks? Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, I don't think it's a dumb question I think that's an Important one because it will really lead you to like the deep-seated racism that I think our society is largely dependent on. So like, like I said before, like these ideas come out of a very particular history and like say the history of chattel slavery that would automatically construct a Black person as less than, as subhuman, as just a unit of labor. And like centuries after the fact, after the abolition of slavery, right? Like these, the way that our society is structured is still a mirror like these hierarchies that uphold this idea of whiteness and white supremacy that would kind of automatically like afford privileges to those who, who are white and any of those who like, embody certain traits that are close to that or that that symbolize whiteness. So like, by that, I mean, even within like black communities, like the fact that shaded them which kind of affords more privileges to lighter skinned black people as opposed to those with darker skin like these ideas are very complex and still are persistent throughout all of our different communities that exist here in Canada and in different ways. But I think to wrap our head around, like, why is it that these injustices still exist today? You have to think about just, I guess, how power functions in our society and, like, the reasons why, like, certain communities, again, have privilege or have access at the expense of others, right? Mm-hmm. So I guess it's more of thinking about, like in addition to your question, I'm, always, I'm often interested in thinking about why is it that those who do embody that privilege, those who come from particular communities even those who aren't necessarily right but like it could be an issue of class as well like say if you're not from the working class and you're super loaded like there's different ways to embody privilege within our society and like I'm always interested in thinking about why is it that people are not trying to mitigate that privilege to help other people so we can all like be free Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. yeah that's a fair question I feel like when I think about like people, <clears throat> people who I know and like in the community that I've grown up in, which is like a largely white community, I feel like they just maybe haven't been exposed to these issues so much, so they haven't really thought about them until until recently with everything that's happening in in the media and everything um, that that we're seeing now more so than we did before um, as far as like Black rights and anti-racism and, and these important conversations.
0: Yeah I think especially nowadays because for sure I, I've gained a sense that just the topic of anti-racism in general has been I guess, the talk of the town or like a buzzword, like EDI, all these things are definitely more present, but mm-hmm. especially in the wake of George Floyd protests and Black Lives Matter demonstrations that have taken over not only the US, but Canada and just other spaces around the world, I always, I was always kind of confused by it only because of the work that I've been studying like over the course of like since undergrad really where I really talked about or been gaining more understanding about what it means to be Black not only in Canada but like Caribbean, United States, Europe and the more that I've gained an understanding about how like the similarities between like our experiences like no matter where we're located as Black people mm-hmm. like these things aren't new like I think that there's always been waves of black resistance and protests, but I don't know. I've always been curious to think about why is it that so many people are all of a sudden waking up or I don't even know if I can call it that. Like I feel like it's still too early to tell about like what actually comes out of this. Cause I think that even all of a lot of the initiatives that have been put in place in response to these protests, like there's still a lot more like room for improvement. So
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah, like I think it's also important to think about the fact that none of this is new, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. This
0: history keeps repeating itself in different forms.
1: Mm-hmm yeah I wonder if it was just like easier to be ignorant before because things are not as visible like we don't we didn't have like phones and and yeah. as fast of access to information. I don't know
0: maybe yeah, I think for sure like social media has played or technology in general has made it harder to ignore to an extent mm-hmm. but. I'm still, I don't know, very critical about, like, the next steps that are taking place to it, because, like, yes, that the information is here. None of this is new, but, like, how are we as a community, as Canadian society, like, making targeted efforts to actually address some of these issues, like, and I think that There are a lot of attempts, like, say, like, EDI councils or just, like, webinars, town halls, you name it, that are willing to, say, have these conversations. But thinking about what, like, how do we come up with an action plan to, like, actually do something about it is where Mm -hmm. I find that yeah, there still needs to be a lot more, like, more. targeted, more concrete, mm-hmm. more sustainable efforts to create change.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I wonder what that would look like.
0: Yeah, I think it depends. Like, I think these issues exist in every like area of our society, like from education to like healthcare, access to mental health services, like just looking for a job, like you name it, like Mm -hmm. racism is literally everywhere, right? So I think that when talking about what these issues could look like, like every area needs to really like tackle it within their own like spaces because there's not like one cookie cutter solution it depends on where exactly you're looking at so like for me I know a lot of the conversations that I've had in regards to black women's hair we talked about uh, maybe diversifying like the curriculum in terms of cosmetology school like I know a lot of people who get their certification to become hairdressers have not even like learned about like textured hair at all right so Mm -hmm. just thinking about these systematic ways that we can change these things right so like just like even the fact that say a black person if they want to get their hair done it's unlikely that they can like go to like, say, you know, those hairdressers that they would have in the mall, like those big chains, like
1: Mm -hmm.
0: first choice comes to mind, like (laughs) there's other ones, but like there's these very like, say generic hair salons that exist, but like black people know that if they're actually trying to get the hair done, that would maybe be the last place that they go. So like, how do we Mm -hmm. just change the overall culture of what hair care looks like? Mm -hmm. rethink beauty standards so that natural hair too is also valorized in the same ways that like straight hair is too, right? Mm -hmm. So there's there's a lot of work that needs to be done and a lot of unlearning. And just having conversations like this where we really talk about where these ideas come from and why they exist. Mm -hmm.
1: Um, I feel like, yeah, when we think beauty, like default is and even not just like beauty kind of just like everything like the default is like white like when I think of like rom-coms or like just anything Mm -hmm. like it's always the the white person is the lead and it wasn't until like last year that I saw like more diversity or like an Asian lead which was like the most (laughs) exciting thing but it's like We've waited until 2020 to be able to see this.
0: Exactly. Mm -hmm.
1: But hoping that we can see more and
0: more. (laughs) Exactly, you're totally right. So when you think about like, going back to your earlier question about like, why is the world set up the way it is? And it has to do with the fact that these ideas like are being fed to us literally everywhere. Like you watch TV, Like the movies you see, like the roles that people get assigned and like the ways that they are like feeding these stereotypes that really are just telling you like this is the way to exist as Mm -hmm. a person and how they're all like codified according to racial stereotypes. So they're, yeah, these ideas are literally surrounding us at all Mm -hmm. times.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I am thinking about, um, have you heard the movie To All the Boys I Loved Before? Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, it's so so cute. It's just like a rom-com and the main girl is Korean. Um, But yeah, I I remember hearing a question like, oh, if the story, like her being Korean is not really a big part of the storyline. So does she actually have to be Korean? Like, couldn't she just be Mm -hmm. white? But I feel like that's part of the problem that it's like, when it's someone who is not white, like that, their race is the focal point of the story where it's like, Asians mm-hmm. can fall in love too.
0: Exactly. <laughs> but the way that media industry is set up today, like it's very rare, rare that you would even be able to come up with that idea. Like, of course, Asian people can fall in love with concept, <laughs> right? But mm-hmm given the limited scope of like the images and these ideas that were fed, it's hard to imagine otherwise. And I think that only nowadays, like you said, like I'm seeing more diverse stories being told in ways that are important. So like, makes you think about like these shows that I love, like say, Insecure, or chewing gum that have, like, really, like, quirky or just more relatable um, Black women characters that I think that in comparison to some of the characters that we're used to seeing from earlier generations, like, even those are, like, very stereotypical and, like, problematic. So I think that it's important to, again, like, give opportunities to different kinds of, like, filmmakers and stuff so we can get more varied perspectives out there mm-hmm. and challenge like what these ideas that were fed on a regular basis to give us more opportunities to just think about how the world works
1: mm-hmm. yeah for sure I know there's a term for what I'm thinking of but um I don't know if it's Individualism? No, I'm not sure. But I there's this idea that like, white people have kind of the privilege of being whoever they want to be. And it's like you get to know them. And then then you know how they are. Whereas kind of with people of color, it's like you have this idea of how they're going to be first. And then like, we don't necessarily have the privilege of just being whoever we are i'm not sure if i'm making sense
0: (laughs) yeah no you're you're right like i it reminds me of this line in a book by dion brand called the map to the door of no return i'm not exactly i don't recall the quote like word for word but it talks about like as black people how like when you enter a room like history precedes you and it's still left like there even after you've left the space and it just shows like how like just these racial stereotypes and history that informs the way we are understanding different people really generate just our social relations and how like, again, like when, like say me as a black person, like just any rando on the street looking at me would already have like certain assumptions, especially with me, like having dreadlocks and being Jamaicans, there's so many, things that would automatically come to mind, like, say, the fact that I might, like, smoke weed, which is something that I've never really done in my life, like, (laughs) so there's, it just shows, like, how, like, our society is really dependent on racist assumptions about people and how that really plays out to, and how we are interacting with each other on a regular basis. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. So what is the solution to it? Like to uh, afford everyone the opportunity to just be themselves and to get to know them first before we judge. Like, how do we get to that place? I really
0: think it's a tough question, but I think for me, I would say a large part has to do with doing internal work. Like, so speaking directly to those who don't necessarily come from Black communities and just think about what privilege looks like. So for example, in a class, some of the classes that I teach, like one key question I often ask my students is like, how might I be infringing upon someone else's freedom? And that's not only directed at white people, like that's an important question that anyone should ask themselves. So I think that can really, tackle different intersections like race, class, ability, gender, like all of these categories that make up who we are as people, like to what extent does your affiliation with these different intersections like afford you like privilege in society or really inform how you live life on a day-to-day basis and think about to what extent do other folks might not have that same freedom and so just going back to the question about like how might you be infringing upon that, I think that is a really good way to maybe force you to think about how to mitigate your privilege in some way, right? So mm-hmm. thinking about what oversights have you been making throughout your life or just things that you have been able to easily ignore despite like the fact that like these people might be your neighbors, so to speak. Like there's a lot of privileges that we're afforded as people that allow us to just walk around with blinders, but it's important to just really open your eyes, take a look around you and do something. So if you're super rich, donate to like grassroots communities who are doing real work to people, like volunteer at a food bank, Um, talk to your like local MPs and counselors about different initiatives that could like help underprivileged people in your communities. Like there's so many ongoing issues in our society that need to be addressed and like say homelessness, access to healthcare, like we're in the middle of a pandemic. So many things have been exacerbated by that and If we all were like, took the initiative to do something, for sure it'd be a better place.
1: Mm -hmm. So, the key is to kind of try to expose yourself to more people and to try to help wherever you can.
0: Check your privilege and try and Mm -hmm. mitigate that. Mm -hmm. Share that privilege with somebody else. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah yeah because i can certainly picture like some of the people who might listen to this and think like i don't know what i'm doing wrong or what i can do because i feel like my intentions are good and like like i can just picture people being like i think that black women are beautiful i don't think that white women are better than black women so like what am i supposed to do
0: yeah that's true i guess and i'm sure it happens but at the same time like I feel like there's always ways to get involved and like it just takes your initiative to find out what that is like Mm -hmm. also educate yourself like read books by different authors like I feel like this is black communities like we already know what life is like for us and it's not like necessarily our jobs to provide solutions to other people like I find that if you really gain a sense of how like inequality functions in our society and how pretty much for you to live your life in a privileged way is only possible because somebody else does not have it. So I think that it's your responsibility to do something to fix that and make our society more equitable to allow people to leave their house without like being scared of the possibility that you might not make it home by the end of the night because like police are hella like racist and are targeting black communities at alarming rates right so there's so many so many things mm-hmm.
1: so try to expose yourself to more maybe like more black content creators are just trying to read more and and listen more to people who don't necessarily look like you
0: yeah read and listen and just I guess really assess your relationships like look at what your circles are like Mm -hmm. like uh what's the likelihood that you might have a close friend that looks like me like you know and maybe think about Why that may or may not be the case, right? So, Mm
1: -hmm. yeah. I feel like I, whenever, like, in thinking about this kind of conversation, like, I always think about Kylie Jenner. I don't know if that's super random, but I always think about, like, how she has profited off of her lip products and that whole family. Yeah. Yeah. and that, yeah, I especially think about Kylie and how like people like there's a trend now of like people getting their their lips injected, and I just feel like <laughs> I don't know. I wonder what your thoughts are on all of that.
0: Uh, well, the whole family, <laughs> I think. Yeah, like I definitely have issues with how. Especially white women are often used like the sexualization of black men to exist in society a particular way. I think that their affiliation to blackness to a certain extent affords them certain privileges. So, like, I think like Kim, her sisters, all their like, yeah, the just the whole problematic nature of that family and that culture, I think, is atrocious only because of the fact that they ultimately consume black cultures in ways that make it profitable for them. Whereas like that <laughs> it it's so, it's so enraging only because like, yeah, like all of this aesthetic that you're promoting if you look at the countless Black people that embody these features that were born with them and the fact that they are often ostracized throughout Mm -hmm. society, do not even have access to making even half of the amount of money that they do or just navigate the world with privileges in the same way, but they're still trying to put on some of these traits, like, again, it's just, I think, a quintessential example of how white privilege works. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I have tried to think of, like, a, like, a Asian kind of comparison, just to, like, empathize a bit more. Like, I think, like, if one of the Kardashians were to, like, start a trend of, like, getting, like, Surgically getting mono eyelids, <laughs> mm-hmm,
0: and how mm-hmm. that
1: would just be so infuriating because it's like, oh, Asians have had this forever and we've been made fun of, but now you do it and it's cool.
0: Yeah, but yeah, again, like, and that could very well be the case, but again, that's just how mm-hmm. like whiteness functions like, you're afforded certain privileges at the expense of other people's, but at the same time, like. I think that it's interesting, I don't know if interesting is the right word, but I think just how race functions, like the fact that you said, like, or the fact that there's an assumption that it might be necessary to find an Asian equivalent to this and this, like I think that we need mm-hmm. to rethink like that line of thinking because like at the end of the day, like racism, is racism and we shouldn't necessarily need to like translate it or morph it in different ways to make it more comprehensible to other communities. And I think that mm-hmm. is also like part of the issues is why like things keep persisting in this way because white supremacy functions in a way that it has to necessarily be happening to like this particular person of color for it to Be understood or be read as an injustice, whereas, like, racism is racism, period, regardless Mm -hmm. of like who it is being, who is experiencing it, right? So, I think that, again, like, I don't like the idea, this category of allyship, but for the lack of a better word, I'll use that as a placeholder. But I think, again, like, just making better efforts to build community, like, transracial communities and thinking about, like, and, like, genuine, like, relationships. I'm not saying you have to necessarily be best friends and all, but just ultimately recognizing the humanity in other people Mm -hmm. is all it takes.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I feel like I'm like trying to like dumb it down in a sense so that I can understand it in my like Asian lens. But that's makes sense just to recognize like.
0: Yeah. But yeah, but yeah, even I understand what you're trying to do, but I, and I don't think that logic is unique to you, but I still think
1: mm-hmm.
0: that it should be critiqued. critique. Like it doesn't it shouldn't have to be put in an Asian lens or self. Asian lens whatever you name it for you to really comprehend that this incident or this line of thinking is racist like it's just racist full stop Mm -hmm. and here's why right so until we're able to really recognize that through other people's experiences not much things will change right Mm
1: -hmm. just like recognizing the humanity in everyone Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I like that um so yeah in your um in your uh publication you talked about the natural hair movement um can you talk a little bit about what that is
0: yeah so the natural hair movement is like an online space where black communities would share like hair care tips just talk about our hair in ways that we're ultimately meant to challenge or push back against normative beauty standards that would uphold like white characteristics so like there would be like pages on Instagram, like YouTube tutorials or just various blogs that would talk about people's natural hair journeys so for example what i found more most interesting is like um like say experiences where someone would undergo the big chop, which would mean that they would cut off like all of their like chemically straightened hair and then pretty much start their natural hair journey from scratch. So like their hair would be really low or they would have a teeny weeny afro and then engage in this natural hair movement or online communities to share what that experience is like with them trying to really, get to know their natural hair and like what it's like to care for their hair in its natural state. And I think these experiences are very enlightening for a lot of people only because of the fact that having like women wearing their hair natural is for some like an anomaly, like you like, I'm only like my own personal experiences like I remember crying to my mom to perm my hair straight as a kid because like that was like my idea is having straight hair is what it would meant to like be beautiful or like be meant to like symbolize you being like a grown woman kind of thing so I think that it's important to think about how kind of normalize like having chemically straightened hair or just wearing straight styles like through extensions, you name it is really kind of ingrained within like black community beauty standards. So like to like decide that you're not going to do that is a big like learning process and journey for a lot of people. And um, yeah, like in my work, I found that even within the space it was, there was still like room for improvement only because I find that like if you look at the kinds of women who would get the most likes or the biggest platforms within the natural hair community or the kind of even styles that were put on as the most desirable were like very particular kinds of women. So like those who are lighter skinned who have like relatively looser curls, so like there's a hair chart that like that would like typify like different hair types like according to their curl pattern. So like those with like the tightest kind of curls, like the 4C, like you wouldn't necessarily see them being um, engaged as much or be, or really upheld in the same ways as like the lighter skin goes with looser curls.
1: Hmm. But yeah, I feel like when I, when I think about like who pops on my TV that I can see what you're saying there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, what do you think our society needs to do to adopt more inclusive and non-racist beauty standards?
0: Mm. Yeah, I think there definitely needs to be an overall like shift on how we are understanding beauty, there's certain terms that have been inclusive that I'm very critical of just because to me, it's not really doing anything to challenge, disrupt or dismantle like the fundamentally racist foundation that these ideas are built on. Like the idea of inclusion to me is just adding some extra color within this existing system that has already had as issues so like for me it's more of having like more revolutionary ideas to how we're understanding each other changing the overall idea of beauty like in ways that are not like stratified in a hierarchy like leveling that playing field like understanding that difference is literally just that and it doesn't mean that some should have more privilege over others right and mm-hmm. even in the cases that where that does happen like what do you do to recognize that this shouldn't be happening and how do we reassess the situation and again mitigate those privileges.
1: Mm-hmm. Um Okay I don't know if this will be a dumb question but I have heard of it so like a bunch of times in my life so I wanted to ask you what you think. I I feel like I've had conversations with like white girls or non-black girls who are just like, I don't understand why. Like if I am saying like, oh, I love black hair. And I think that like cornrows are the coolest thing. And like, I am appreciating them and like, I want to get them for myself. But like, why is that not allowed? Like what? Um
0: again it has to do with privilege right so like for a white woman to have cornrows and go outside in the street like just like walking to the mailbox to pick up her mail chances are like nothing will happen to her she just assumed to be like an innocent white lady living her life like say a young black man with cornrows walking down the same street, going to the same mailbox. People see that. They're definitely not affording him, like, those same assumptions. They're obviously, there's, like, an automatic, like, association to ideas that, like, involve criminality or, like, he's assumed to be out of place. Like, someone might think that, oh, this man doesn't belong here. Like, what is he doing? He must be up to no good. So, like, the very fact that two different people walking down the same street are read in completely different ways, I think really speaks to why there's issues with this idea of cultural appropriation, like Black hair, like cornrows or canerows, like whatever you want to call it. Like these are, like it's attached to a very particular history with cultural meanings to certain communities, right? And like, it's important for people to think about like how things change meaning and like when you are attaching like privileges to that, like that's why it shouldn't be done, right? Mm -hmm. If there's a likelihood that you're not going to be harassed or assumed to be out of place because of the way you look, that's why.
1: Mm -hmm. Oh man it's really frustrating to think about everything. Um, And I feel like just an ongoing forever learning process Mm -hmm. for everybody. Um, But for people who are listening, um, what would you say is the key thing that you would want them to take away from this conversation?
0: Mm -hmm. Key takeaways. Again, I think would just have to be recognize your privilege, try and mitigate that by ultimately recognizing the humanity in others. So challenge your assumptions that you have about other people and like really be aware of the fact that how these problematic views that we have, these anti-Black racist notions that you subscribe to are literally upholding, like, a wider, like, systemic problem that is really a matter of life and death for other people, right? So, like, until we decide to think differently, like, Black people will continue to die at alarming rates or be incarcerated, etc. So, like, it's important to think about how these varying degrees of like our ideas. So even if it's something as simple as like our ideas about hair or beauty standards, it's all still tied into these wider issues that ultimately have to do with people's like freedom, like how they live. And it is a life and death issue if you really wanna think about it on those terms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It
1: is. Um, I have just a few more questions that I have to ask, but I've before I get to those, is there anything that you wanted to add or talk about at all? Uh,
0: not right now. Okay. Um,
1: okay. So yeah, I have um, four just kind of like quick ones and then two that I have been asking everybody, um, but the four ones are a little bit more lighter Um than what we've been talking about. Um, So the first one is, what is, um, or sorry, what are you reading right now?
0: What am I reading? Literally everything, because I'm in the middle of writing my dissertation, but some notable texts, I would say Sisters of the Yam by Bell Hooks, um, In Search of My Mother's Garden by Alice Walker, um I literally list like a million books uh Theorizing Empowerment by Natisha Masakoy and Jokey Wayne Desmond Cole's book what is it The Skin I'm In and okay last one Robin Maynard's Policing Black Lives
1: that's a lot to be reading at once
0: (laughs) yeah well it's the nature of the work that I signed up for as a Mm -hmm. PhD student
1: true true Um, What are you watching right now?
0: Watching, uh, I'm re-watching Sister, Sister, because it's on Netflix, Uh, and also Merlin. It's, like, an old, like, series about, like, the wizard, King Arthur, all that stuff. Dragons, magic, all that cool things. Oh, another book, Tracy Dion's Legendborn is also cool, because I guess for those who are into, like, fantasy-type, literature because that one is like the first the black girl like main character which is interesting it also has like king arthur merlin and all those characters in it so that was a cool twist for the nerds out there
1: (laughs) um what are you listening to right now
0: listening to for the most part it's like reggae so chronics protege Leila Ike, Savannah, or dancehall like Shantia, Popcorn. and then like other like slower R&B soul would be like John Legend, Karim Bailey Ray. I can also list ten million artists because music is definitely like my second love of my life, following like just studying about Black people experiences. Like I grew up taking classical piano lessons, like I sing, play guitar, so like music is definitely what I'm doing outside of my research.
1: Mm-hmm. Hmm. Cool, very nice. Um, what is your favorite quote, if you have one?
0: My favorite quote? <laughs> that's a huge one. Um, Do I have a favorite? Okay, the first thing that sticks out is one that Franz Fanon says, hopefully I could say it word for word, but it's from a book called black skin white masks and he says I sit down by the fire and I'm aware of my uniform it is indeed ugly but I stop there for who can tell me what beauty is
1: Hmm.
0: so I think yeah that quote I use a lot in my work when I talk about beauty standards and just how black people grapple with like the ideas about what it means to be Black and how, like, they come to the realization that society really thinks about them in particular ways and just, there are times where we might internalize that, but then there's always these, like, transformative moments where we stop to think about, wait, this is not me, and there's other ways to, like, reimagine ourselves and define, according to our own terms, like, what it means to live our lives, so... Yeah, that France final quote is definitely one of my go-tos.
1: I've never heard of that. I feel like there's a lot to unpack and think about in that quote. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, and then, sorry, my last two questions. So my podcast is called Learn with Flows. So as I was saying before, it's about like lifelong learning and listening to other people and learning from them. Um, So the first one is, what is something you've been learning lately?
0: I've been learning lately to go slower like especially like I'm in the last year of my PhD trying to like finish up my dissertation and I especially over the last semester I've been really on a meticulous schedule and like ways that were not always healthy or realistic and I think that especially for Black women like they're always doing all things at all times. It's important to be in tune with your bodies and just take breaks more and just know that work will always be there. So Mm -hmm. it's okay to chill more times than not.
1: Mm -hmm. That's a good one. Um, And then the last question is, what's the biggest lesson you've learned in life so far?
0: Biggest (laughs) lesson? Mm -hmm. That, I don't know if there's one big outstanding one.
1: Or just like something that... (laughs)
0: Um, Stands
1: out a little.
0: Biggest lesson, I think that maybe that we're all human, and that what is most important is what like recovery looks like. So just being kinder to yourself about mistakes that you're bound to make, and just do better at addressing whatever issues it is going forward so yeah focus on recovery
1: yeah I like it (laughs) cool okay well thank you so much for being on my podcast and for taking the time to talk with me today
0: thanks for having me
1: of course I feel like I've learned a lot and a lot to continue learning sounds Mm -hmm.
0: good